This is how we'll begin. So the homework was, do your best to memorize it and then recite it. So Matthew chapter 5. Now, now I've got the Bible here just in case I start to fall on my face here because I, for some reason, get my thoughts jumbled, which, of course, never happens. But, right. Anyway, so, so let's, let's do this. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, he began, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are gentle, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, because they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Have I skipped one? Are we still good? All right. I can't understand what you're saying. All right. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because, they, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward in heaven is great. For that is the way that they persecuted the saints and the prophets who were before you. I hope that you see, number one, you don't have to be perfect in memorizing the Scripture. But number two, when it gets inside of your heart, it'll do something. Because you never know what situation, as we look at it this morning, that you'll encounter this week. And you say, you know what? Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they'll be called the sons of God. We'll learn what that means. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because they'll be filled. There's a lot of emptiness in the world. be nice to be filled. As we think about it this morning, I brought something with me that may interest a few of you especially those that didn't have breakfast, but I brought some chocolate chip cookies. And I, I wish I could say that they're warm, but I don't have a microwave in my office, and I couldn't run over to the other building and take care of that. But these, these are, are chocolate chip lovers' chocolate chip cookies. It's kind of like the meat lover's pizza. You know, it's just piled on. It, it's, they're, they're pretty good, and they smell good too. And so I want you to think about how often in life it seems like, I'm going to tease you here, it seems like the people that receive the cookies in life are often the most godless people that you have ever met. I mean, is that not the case? I mean, does it not? I mean, now, I'll just be honest and transparent. It drives me nuts. I just don't understand that about life. Why on earth would somebody who's completely ungodly get cookies? Why do they get great things? And then people who are so godly, so committed to the Lord, things go in their lives just in the opposite direction. I just think, wow. What's the deal? But I want to show you from the Scripture today how I really believe that cookies are what life, God's way, is intended to be. Does that mean that everything in life is going to go your way? Not at all. If you, if you have lived at all, you know life's not always going to go your way. It doesn't matter how closely you walk to God, things are going to go wrong. Bad things are going to happen. If anybody tells you that if you are a Christian, that your problems are over, run because they are wrong but i want to show you today from the scripture how god offers chocolate chip cookies in terms that the world can't offer things money cannot buy we see over and over that word blessed 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 and we're going to look at today how god offers those kinds of things to his followers tell you want a cookie there you go, take a cookie. Give it to your grandma. You won't eat a cookie? 
How about that? Here you go. You can have a good one. Well, you can pass it on then. <clears throat> oh, right over here? You, you want to? Okay. There you go. Okay, very good. All right. No, no problems on this side. There you go. Pass it on down the line. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> thinking about that, I want you to, to, to look at the Scripture with me today and sort of understand that's what God intended life to be. Now, you're saying, oh, wait just a second. Now, I, I've lived for God for a long time. There ain't never been no chocolate chip cookies coming my way. It's not going to, you know, it's not happening. I've experienced a lot of hardship. What's going on? We're going to learn today how even though the world seems to get all the cookies, we're going to learn what kind of cookies God has intended for us. I want you to understand that God wants great things for you. Some of us simply need to walk away understanding who God is and what He's about. There are people who say, well, I don't, I don't want anything to do with God. I, God has messed up my life. God's a joke. He's this, He's that. They don't understand and know the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, has always been about blessing His people. It's a story of God's faithfulness. It's a story of God's blessing. It's a story of God forgiving sinners when they do not deserve it. It's a story of God's redemption through Jesus Christ. Those who say they want nothing to do with God are probably looking at a picture of God that doesn't come exactly from the Bible. So I want us to look at the Bible today and understand how we can get those cookies from God. And so if you look at it in Matthew chapter 5 again, you'll see on the back of your bulletin, if you'd like to follow along, please feel free to do that. Here's what God wants for you. Life as God intended. Here's what God wants for you. Just, just simply write this down. He wants you to experience His blessing now and for all eternity. He wants you to experience His blessing now and for all eternity. Certainly it is for one day. As the children's sermon this morning indicated, one day Jesus will come back. And then we'll be taken with Him to experience eternal blessings that we've never even fathomed. And so it certainly is for one day. And it's for now. The Bible is going to make it clear as we look at this. These are blessings both for now and for all eternity. It's not one or the other. It's not just a great life now and then nothing once you die. It's not just everything once you die and nothing here. It's both. And so we need to obviously define what is it that we're talking about? What's the blessing? We looked at last week. What is that word blessing? And, and you won't see this on the screen, but just as a reminder, the definition, the biblical definition of the word blessing is to be filled with benefits or to be completely satisfied. Now, there are people in this world who have lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff who are absolutely and completely dissatisfied with life. There are people in this world who have lots and lots and lots of stuff who are absolutely, completely satisfied. There are people who have nothing and are absolutely dissatisfied with life. And you know, as well as I do, there are people that have nothing but are completely satisfied and filled with benefits that they can't even explain. And so this has nothing to do, these benefits, these blessings, this satisfaction, has nothing to do with how much you have or don't have. God's beyond that. He's way beyond what you have or don't have. And He operates in your life on levels that are way beyond what you can see and what I can see and what we can physically experience. So this is going way beyond those physical types of things, monetary blessings, to be filled with benefits, to be completely satisfied. Let's look then at the list of blessings that God shows us here in Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 3. 
because, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The benefit there is confidence in your salvation. The blessing there is to know, you know what? The kingdom of God belongs to me. I am a child of God, a child of the king, and I can be confident in that. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. It's comfort because of God's forgiveness. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. The comfort of God's forgiveness. Verse 5, because they will inherit the earth. You realize that when you live here on earth, you can still experience things money cannot buy? The people who are most satisfied, the most filled with benefits in life, have received things money cannot buy. They are full of friendships, full of love, full of great relationships, full of an experience with God that money simply cannot buy. Verse 6, to be filled means to be completed and wanting nothing more in life but simply more of God. Give me more of Him. That's all I long for. I'm filled, but I want more of Him. Verse 7, you receive mercy. That simply means compassion, forgiveness, both from God and from other people. Verse 8, to see God, to know and understand Him, get what He's doing to understand His plan, to see what He's up to. Verse 9, they will be called the sons of God. You become part of a great mission. Jesus, the Son of God, who made peace with the earth. You get to be part of of a great mission, the same one Jesus had. In verse 10, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs, and then verse 12, because your reward is great in heaven. It's the hope and the promise of eternal joy and peace. I don't know about you, but as I quickly run down that list of blessings, those are the cookies I want. Those are the things I want. I want to be absolutely confident in my salvation, knowing nothing can take that away from me. There is absolutely nothing this world can do to yank my salvation away from me. God says that when you're a child of His, nothing can take you out of His hand. Nothing at all. I want to be confident in that. And when you are living according to God's plan, God wants for you to be confident. I want the comfort when I mess up to know God applies forgiveness and grace and love. I want that in my life. And when I see what God wants for me, I realize that's a part of it. I want those things money cannot buy. I've pursued some things in my life and purchased some things in my life as you probably have too, and then I realize that's really not that good. I really want the things money can't buy. I want all the intangible things that money cannot buy. I want to be completed in my life, filled and wanting nothing except more of God, to be completely satisfied in Him. You know those people who are just always wanting more, 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 more in life? Well, I tell you, the Bible says that if you follow God, you won't want more and more and more and more and more of all that. You'll just want more and more and more of Jesus. And He's always enough. And then He'll fill you once again. I, I want compassion and forgiveness from people because the Lord knows I need it. I'm not perfect. I mess up. I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I wish I didn't do. I think things that I shouldn't. And I want compassion and forgiveness. God says you follow Him. That's what you'll receive. I want to see God. Well, I want to know Him. I want to understand what He's up to as best I can with my finite mind. I want to get what God is doing. I want to be wise to the things of God. you ever known somebody like that? They just seem to, to see God moving in every situation. doesn't matter what happens. doesn't matter what goes on. They, they, they see God's hand on top of everything. They see God's faithfulness. I want to be that kind of person. I want that reward in heaven. That hope of eternal joy, eternal peace. I want that. And you may say, well, man, I, 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 you kind of get mixed. I'd like that too. 
I, I really don't want to be caught up in all the junk of the world anymore because all that's given me is a bunch of emptiness. All that's done is, is leave me unfulfilled. I want what God says He wants for me. How do I get it? God wants for you an incredible life filled with these kinds of blessings. But you've got to remember an absolutely unchanging principle in life. And it's this, that God's blessing is experienced only by those who approach Him on His terms. God's blessing is experienced only by those who approach Him on His terms. Understand that all those blessings, it's a package deal. You come to God on His terms, here's what you get. Here's how He blesses you. Here's what He fills your life with. And it gets progressively better. Those of you who have experienced this, you know it. I was talking to somebody this past week, and they said, boy, the more I learn about God, the closer I get to Him, the better it gets. Well, the more I want of Him, man, the better it gets. I'm not there yet, but man, I'm on the, I'm on the path. The better it gets. But we have to realize that those blessings, those filling of benefits, that complete satisfaction is only available to those who approach God on His terms. Let me, let me help you kind of understand a little bit uh, the context of this Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever. I'm looking forward to putting on the marquee and just seeing if anybody shows up because they think I'm actually going to preach the greatest sermon ever. Greatest sermon ever, Sunday, 10 o'clock. I just want to see if anybody shows up and then they get here and they think, that wasn't that great. What's going on? But anyway, but Jesus here obviously is preaching the greatest sermon ever. Flip back a page or two with me. You won't see these verses on the screen, so if you've got your Bible open, look at them. In Matthew chapter 4, let me kind of set this up and tell you what's going on, which is why we'll understand that Jesus is laying out his terms. This is what we've got to get. Look at it. He's baptized there, or tempted rather. He's baptized at the end of chapter 3. Then he's tempted in the wilderness at the end of chapter 4. Then he begins his ministry. Look at chapter 4, verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven. It's no accident that that word kingdom is mentioned. This is a king setting up his kingdom. Here's how it's going to be. Then, look at, verses, uh, 20, look at verse 23, chapter 4. Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Then news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. The king is gathering a following. He's becoming famous. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 5. When he saw the crowds, the pep rallies beginning, he went up on the mountain sort of to remove himself. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, we see that word, sat. We see the phrase, after he sat down. And if I were to preach to you today, from a seated position, some of you would not listen whatsoever. Because you think, well, he's just kind of relaxed. Is he really serious about this? Just kind of having a casual conversation. Not really sure if that's important or not. And so that's why, for the most part, I stand up. Number one, I'm too short to sit down. Number two, I hope you'll listen. And so... So Jesus, though, was in a time where those in authority sat down to teach. The rabbis of his time sat, and that was their seat of authority. And that's where they taught from. He's setting up, here's the kingdom. 
He is known as the Prince of Peace. He is the King of all kings, the Lord of lords. And He sits, figuratively speaking, in this passage, there on His throne. Here's what the kingdom is about. You listen to what I have to say. And we see in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1-12, through 12, here is what the people of the kingdom are to be. You're to be about these things. This is to be your character. Next week, we'll look at verses 13 to 16. Memorize that for next week. And we'll look at what is the function of the people in the kingdom. What are they supposed to be doing? And then Jesus says, in verses 17 through 20 or so, He says, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then He lays out His law. Kings always give law. He says, here's what you're supposed to be abiding by. And He says, you've heard it said, or your law says, but my law says this. And we go on in this sermon, and it's the king laying out his terms. I say all that because I want you to understand that this is not just some, hey, maybe it'll help you through the day kind of message from Jesus. This is the king of kings, seated on his throne, laying out, here are the terms. You want to come to me? Do this. You want to experience my blessings? Here's what you've got to do. Think of how ridiculous it would be. And if you've seen movies about old kingdoms, you probably realize this. You don't come to the king on his terms, life isn't good, to say the least. You're not going to experience the favor of the king, even in human terms. The king says, do this. The subjects say, okay, or they face the consequences. That's just simply the way it is. So Jesus laying out the terms of his kingdom. Here's what it is. And so we've got to learn then, if I want to experience all of the blessings, those cookies that God has to offer, the filling of benefits, what then are his terms. How do I need to approach God? This is what he says, and it's laying out his terms. The king gets to decide, not the servants, what the terms are. Servants don't pick and choose. Well, I like that one. Don't like this one. We come to God on his terms. That's it. It's the only chance we've got. You may say, well, that's kind of, oh, golly, I'm not sure about all that. Follow me. We'll get there. We don't get to negotiate on the terms. I, I, I had an experience yesterday with Hank, who's my four-year-old son, and Hank is, uh, he has a sweet tooth. And he doesn't know I have cookies yet today, and so he'll find that out maybe later on, unless they're all gone by the end of the service, which, that's okay. But yesterday, he wanted, he wanted a snack. And Hank's snacks are, you know, things like cookies and candy and that kind of stuff. And so he asked me for a snack, and I knew exactly what he was going for. I said, no. And he said, well, well, well okay. He said, well, after lunch, can I have a snack? I said, no. And all he's wanting is some dessert. You know, that's it. He said, no, well, okay, well, and Nancy happened to be gone at the time. Well, when Mommy gets back, I'll have it then. <laughs> I looked at him, knowing I was going to preach this. I said, who makes the rules? And he just kind of smiled. I said, I do, don't I? I said, did I say you can have it? No. I said, I'm the one who tells you what you're going to be doing, what you're not going to be doing. Now, I wasn't, I'm not dictatorial at home, understand? But he's not getting that because I said, No. But he's trying to negotiate his way on his terms to get what he wants. He wants the blessing, so to speak. He's the subject in the story. And in the story, if we were writing it, I'd be the king saying, No, you do it on my terms. I'll tell you when you can have it. You don't get to decide, well, after lunch or when mommy gets home, then I'll have it. He stopped asking and told me what he was going to do. Now, before we start thinking, well, isn't that cute, just a little four-year-old guy? Boy, don't we do that to the Lord. Don't we say to God, you know what, God, I know or kind of think I know what the Bible says, but, you know, this is the way I'm going to do it. And I hope it's good enough because this is what I'm going to do regardless. And I hope that for some of us here today as we run through these, 
that for some of us we'll say, you know what? I've been asking God to operate on my terms. And I realize that all the promises He's made are contingent upon me coming to Him on His terms. And so maybe for some of us, I know for me, I learned this this week, I need to every single day say, you know what, God? It's your terms. I'm not coming to you with my terms. You are the one who decides. God's terms are these. You'll see these. You can fill these in. We'll go through them very quickly. The first he says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are empty-handed before God. You realize you can do nothing to earn your salvation? It is a free gift of God, it says in the Bible. It is by grace, through faith, it is not of us, Ephesians chapter 2 says, not by good works, so that nobody can brag about it, can say, well, I've earned it and you haven't. It is a free gift of God, only through His grace. We, if we are going to receive salvation, we must come empty-handed to God. God, i got nothing but a bunch of sin. That's all i got. I can't buy my way into heaven, God. I can't do enough good things, and at the end it will balance out. It doesn't work that way. He says, poor in spirit. That means, you know what, I know I am absolutely bankrupt spiritually. I am upside down on the car loan spiritually. I cannot pay it off. I am facing foreclosure, and I will face the consequences. I am spiritually bankrupt. I come empty-handed. God, i got no chance but you. And that's what Jesus lays out as the very first term. You're going to come to him through salvation or anything else. You're going to come empty-handed, or you're not really coming. That's the way Jesus says. Come empty-handed to him. Second is this, blessed are those who mourn. And that word there means they're broken. We say, wait a minute. Doesn't it mean that, well, I've been sad about something? I've lost a loved one, and I I mourn, and so therefore I'm comforted. Certainly. The Bible is clear, especially if you look in the Psalms, of God just comforting those who are brokenhearted, who've experienced a lot of letdown in life. But in this context, as you read it all the way through and understand that this passage builds on itself, Once I realize I'm coming to God empty-handed, all I've got is a bunch of sin. I'm broken because of that. I mourn over that sin because it separated me from God. And I see the sin that's in the world that's creating absolute havoc and evil. And I'm just mourning over that. It says they'll be comforted, though, what? By the promise of God's forgiveness. You come to God empty-handed, broken over your sin. And God says, I'll be faithful to forgive and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. Certainly those who are brokenhearted will be comforted, but in this context, it's talking about mourning being broken over our sin. And it's a mourning that doesn't just have, make us have a bad day, thinking, oh, I'm so horrible, but that leads to repentance, leaving that sin behind, turning toward God. Verse 4, or excuse me, verse 5. Blessed are the gentle, because they will inherit the earth. Those who are gentle are humble. They've got a realistic view of who they are. They know who they're not, and they know who they are. I am a sinner saved by grace, and that alone, and that way, that then puts me on equal ground with anybody else. Because then I'm not anything any better than anyone else. I just simply have received the grace of God, committed my life to Him. So anybody I encounter, I'm, I'm then a little more gentle toward them, a little more humble, understanding that they come empty-handed, that they may or may not realize their need for Jesus It puts me on even ground with anybody else. The only good thing in my life is Jesus Christ. And so I'm humble because of that. Verse 6, hunger and thirst means that I'm pursuing, constantly going after more righteousness. 
But one of the things that is a great characteristic of, of those who are truly, truly following the Lord is that spiritual hunger. They want to know more. They want to learn more. They want to get closer to the Lord. Those who truly know Him keep coming back for more and more and more and more. Our pursuit obviously makes it clear to be different than that of the world. We don't pursue the same things. We go after Jesus and His righteousness. Verse 7, Blessed are those who are merciful, because they will receive mercy. To be merciful is simply to be compassionate. You're aware of the needs in the lives of people. If you're a child of God, they don't escape you. Your eyes are always open and sensitive to those things, those people who are in pain, in distress, having a rough day, those who are less fortunate than you, be it monetarily or whatever. God shows mercy continuously, because if He didn't, none of us would have a chance. And His people are instructed and called to do the same thing. Blessed are those who are merciful. Verse 8, blessed are those who are pure in heart. Pure in heart simply means sincere. There's no hypocrisy whatsoever. I am who I am. And I do what God says to do. There's no ulterior motive. There's no hidden agenda. There's, there's no hypocrisy. I am sincere in what I, the way I act toward God and the way I act toward others. Pure thoughts, pure motives, single-minded, absolutely transparent, not in it for myself. Pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who both give counsel to people, trying to make peace between maybe a, a family member and someone else, or friends, doing our best to make peace in the world. Does that mean we appease everybody? No. I struggle with this. Maybe you're a people pleaser. I, I don't know what the key to success is. I heard it said this week, but the key to failure is trying to please everybody. I heard that said this week. So this is not about appeasement, but it's about making peace. It's about making things right. And certainly we give counsel to do that, but if you think about it, Jesus came to make peace between God and sinful people. And so we are to be a witness of that. We are to evangelize and to talk about that and to seek to make peace as best we can between God and the world. That person you work with who sits next to you, that person that you're around most of the time, if they are lost, they need peace to be made between them and Jesus. The Bible says, how can they know if they don't have somebody to tell them? And so certainly we think, well, okay, I'll be a peacemaker. I'll just make everybody happy, make friends with people. Part of it. It's only half. The other half is making peace between God and sinful people. Letting them know that peace is possible with God. And then we get to this last one. That we just really soon not be in the Bible. Blessed are those who are persecuted. We're okay till we get to this point. We're okay with everything God throws our way. God, okay, I don't have to have everything that the world offers. But what's this deal about suffering? What's, what's the deal with that? We're okay till we get to this point. Each of these sort of builds on itself. Those who are poor in spirit realize their need for Jesus. They are then mourning and broken over their sin, so they respond to other people differently. Then they hunger for more righteousness because that's the only thing that will please God. That's the only thing that I want in my life. I want to please Him. Then, then they're merciful toward others because they've been shown mercy. They're pure in heart. There's nothing that comes between them and God. They're absolutely sincere. They're peacemakers. They see the needs in the world. They're going to go try to fix it as best they can. But you know, peace isn't always possible. And sometimes when we take Jesus to the world, it creates a little conflict. 
Because when you take the perfect and holy Savior of the world into a dark and evil place, you've got some issues and a little butting of heads. Because you have a world that wants to live on its own terms and a king who says live on my terms and that's in direct opposition. So do not be surprised when you face opposition. Jesus himself even said, you are filled with benefits. You will be completely satisfied. What? Why? Because you'll be confident you are in the middle of God's will. The kingdom of heaven is yours and great is your reward in heaven. So don't be surprised when you're slandered, somebody says something about you, when somebody's angered because you won't do this or that, or because you tell them, look, you know what, I just think that's wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. In fact, I would say that instead of being surprised when that happens, we ought to be surprised when it doesn't. Jesus himself sort of foreshadowing what he's going to face. He would face the most incredible persecution and death that the world has ever seen, all because he did the will of God. And so we should not be surprised if the world doesn't exactly favor Christians anymore. Shouldn't be surprised if things get worse. And in fact, we ought to say, you know what, if I have to suffer for the sake of the Lord because I have stood up for him and not been willing to, to, to sacrifice or to compromise on my beliefs, then so be it. My reward is great in heaven. I'll experience God's presence here on earth. That's foreign to us. In America, we face very little, if anything, that we can call persecution. And so I, I, all I can say is when somebody doesn't get it, when your family members sort of disown you because they, they think you've gone off the deep end with this Jesus phase in your life, when your co-workers are a little bit rubbed the wrong way because you happen to live a little bit differently, maybe that's the persecution Maybe that's the insult. Maybe that's the saying false things against you. Don't be surprised. Don't pout. Don't be in self-pity. Don't, don't say, woe is me. But the Bible says, be glad and rejoice. Because you're just like Jesus then. Never more like Jesus than when you're serving or when you're suffering. Those are the two things he showed us. Here you go. This is what it is. I want you to think about <clears throat> this passage of Scripture as going all together. One builds into the next, creating the life that God intended for us. We don't pick and choose which elements, which terms we're going to come on. We don't say, well, you know, I like that showing mercy part of that. I'll do that. I'll be compassionate to people. I'll meet their needs. No problem. I'll fill the baby bottle with lots and lots of coins. That'll be great. I'll show mercy. And, and then I'll receive mercy. People will be nice to me. Wouldn't that be great? But you know, that, that whole deal about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, i got other things i got to do. You know, the whole idea of pursuing God, I, you know, yeah, I'll be at church, no problem. You can't pick and choose. It's a package deal. Jesus says, this is what the people in the kingdom are like. All these things. We don't pull one out and say, well, that's what I like. Take them all together. It's sort of like a, a, a recipe for, for things. Jeremy, help, help me out real quick, if you don't mind. I'm going to get Jeremy to <clears throat> help me... As we close here, if you want to experience the cookies, there's a real simple way that you have to go about that, and it involves following the recipe. Now, do not try this at home. I am a professional. Here's what the recipe calls for. You ready? Two and a quart cups of all-purpose flour, one teaspoon of baking soda, one teaspoon of salt, one cup 
or two sticks of butter, softened. Three quarters of a cup of granulated sugar, three fourths of a cup of packed brown sugar, one teaspoon, vanilla extract, two eggs, and two cups of Nestle Toll House semi-sweet chocolate morsels. Now, just like any good cooking show, I've taken the liberty of preparing some of this beforehand so that you're really impressed that it's all together. And like I said, I am a professional. But it says, here are the directions. It says, combine flour, baking soda, and salt in a small bowl. Check. Beat the butter, granulated sugar, brown sugar, and vanilla extract in a larger mixer bowl until creamy. Check. Add the eggs one at a time. And then it says to beat those in each time. So, thinking about the passage of Scripture. You started with being poor in spirit. Gone then to mourning. Added a few other things. And it begins to get to where you see, man, it's starting to take shape just a little bit. I can see where following the recipe is the way to go. And then God says, you know, by the way, you're doing all that. And I want you to add a little bit more. Add some of this. Add a little bit of that. And then stir it up. And here we go. We keep adding to our lives the things that God says. Adding more and more of what He says is on the recipe. His terms coming to Him. And we stir that and let God mix it up in our lives We begin to see it's taking more shape to be the life that God intended. And then the next step says this. Gradually beat in the flour mixture. Now this could get a little bit messy. But again, I know what I'm doing. Or at least I'm going to act like it. So we gradually beat that in. Now some of you are going to think, you know what, you ought to stick to preaching. Not to baking. But we see that over time, We add in what God says. And ultimately, He begins to stir it up. And He begins to make it into what He wants. And as we then are subject to a little bit of heat, maybe a little bit of refining, a little bit of persecution, a little bit of flour on your jacket, what we see in the very end is after you bake these at 350, 400 for 10 to 12 minutes. They turn out to be exactly what the person who wrote the recipe intended for them to be. You leave one part of it out, and you don't have cookies. You got something totally different that probably doesn't taste any good. You add a little bit too much of this or that, or you sort of get the recipe in the wrong order, or or, or you try to do it all on your own, and they're not going to taste very good. But, when you come to God, the person who wrote the recipe for life, you come to Him on His terms. You let Him mix it up the way He wants to. You let Him apply the heat if need be. And you'll find that what you receive in life is that whole package full of blessings. The end product will be exactly what God intended. And so I guess my question to me and to you is, are we following that recipe? Are we, are we doing what the person who wrote it said to do? Do we look at the Scripture and say, well, I like that part, but not this part, so I'm not going to apply that? Or do we say, you know what, God? I want your blessings, and I'm coming on your terms. Some of us have been waiting a long time maybe to give our lives to the Lord. And we say, well, you know, I, I just... I, I just kind of, I think I'm okay. I think I'm doing it all right. And God says, no, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. You got nothing. I've got nothing to offer God and of myself but sin. That's it. Without His grace, I've got no chance. So maybe today, you say, you know what? I'm going to come to God for the very first time on His terms. I'm not going to count on my good works somehow weighing out the bad in the end, no. I'm coming to the King on His terms. Or you know what? I tell you, I need to repent of some things. There are just some things in my life that just flat don't need to be there. And I'm broken over that this morning. And nobody has to know all that stuff, but I tell you what, God, I, well, I'm turning away from that. God, I know that I need to be humble, gentle toward other people because I used to be in the same boat. And apart from God, I'd be just like them. I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want more of God. I want to be merciful. I want to be pure in heart. No more hypocrisy. No more saying one thing and doing another. I want to be a peacemaker. God, I want things right in my relationships, and I want to be your ambassador to this community to make things right between them and you. And God, if that means that I face opposition as a result of that sort of lifestyle, then so be it. I am willing to suffer knowing that my reward is great in heaven. And I'll put my hope in that. God has, God has designed an intended life for you to experience His blessings both now for all eternity. But you've got to come to Him on His terms. And so this week, my prayer for me and for you is that maybe as we've heard these Scriptures, we understand, well, that's the recipe for life. Those are God's terms. That's what He says to do. Those are the steps He says to follow. So I'll do that. And I'll begin to experience blessings that the world cannot buy, that money cannot give to me. And so today, if you need to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, the Bible makes it clear His terms are this. You admit you're a sinner, that you have no chance apart from Him. You place your trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone, and you receive His forgiveness. The Bible says from that point on, you are a new creation now able to live the, the life that God wants for you. You're no longer dead in your sin, but made alive to Jesus Christ. Some of us just need to call out to God and say, God, I, that's, what I, that's what I need. Jesus, save me today. I confess my sin to you. Forgive me. Make me new. For others, we've been sort of stuck on, well, I, I know there's some things God wants me to do. Some of us have never been baptized. You know, the Bible says that baptism isn't what saves you, but it's a step of obedience. It's a public display. Here's what God has done in my life. I'm not ashamed of Him. For some of us, we say, you know what? I need to follow in that. That's what I need to do. We baptize by immersion because that's the way Jesus was baptized. And also, it's a clear picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Shows what's happened on the inside of us. I've died to all that old junk. Man, I'm alive like never before. Some of us just need to make a fresh commitment to the Lord. So you know what? That's the recipe I'm going to follow. I'm coming to God on His terms. Whatever your decision is today, don't wait. Don't wait. Make that decision to follow Jesus for the first time, to be obedient in baptism, or to simply walk away from here saying, I'm coming to God on His terms every day this week. And from this point forward, as best I can, that's what I'm doing. Let's pray.